All right, well, let's get after it. If you have a Bible, let's go to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback in the seat underneath you uh, or around you. We'll be in Micah chapter 5 this morning. Um, for those of you who remember a couple summers ago, we preached through the book of Micah. It's a little bit of old school this morning. Uh, it's good. Micah's like an old friend, I feel like, who I haven't talked to in a couple of years. Uh, so we'll be back in Micah just for a second this morning. Um, Micah chapter 5. Before we get started, I want to make a couple announcements. If you look at the back of your worship guide... Uh, in particular, notice on February 3rd, uh, we'll be having a group of men go to a conference in Katy called Born to be Wild. Um, don't think of the song, okay? Uh, think of uh, some popular books that have been written about biblical manhood. There's this conference there. I believe Josh Hamilton from the Rangers will be there, some comedians, uh, and then some worship guys. So if you're interested in that, Jason Watson will be heading that up. Uh, Chris Bowers, I believe I'll be going. We'll be taking a group up. There will probably be carpooling. So come talk to us uh, and make plans to do that with us. And then February 6th, we have our Spring Creek night uh, at Spring Creek, our spirit night at Spring Creek. Uh, so also put that on your calendar and prepare to coerce people to go with you uh, and get us to that 150-person limit. Um, all right, we'll be started in, in Micah chapter 5. What we're doing this morning, um, if you're visiting with us, is once a year we'll give a State of the Congregation address. Um, kind of a checkup, uh, where have we been, where are we going, how are we doing. Uh, so this is an interesting time. This is not what most of our Sunday mornings will look like. In fact, starting next week, uh, we'll come in, we'll worship just the same. I'll get up here, we'll come to Acts, and we'll start preaching through the book of Acts. Uh, we love to go through books of the Bible here uh, at our church. Uh, and so we'll start Acts next week, a series that will take us forever. We're not thinking about it, okay? We're just going to start and move through it. Uh, so we'll start Acts next week, and I'm excited to do that with you. But we're going to spend a second just this morning um, to talk about the church, talk about specifically FC Cubed, who we are, where we've been, and then where we're going. Uh, and hopefully I'm going to cast a little bit of vision for us this morning. And then really for the next few months, we'll be talking about the church as we move through Acts. Um, one of our goals in doing the book of Acts is to see what the church looks like, what the church um, how the church functions, and then how you and I can fill that role um, in 2012. Uh, so we'll be in Micah chapter 5. Um, I want to read for you and camp out for just a second in verses 7 through 9. Micah 5, 7 through 9. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. Okay, now if you remember from when we preached through the book of Micah, Micah is a prophet in the 8th and 7th century BC in Jerusalem, so a long, long time ago. If you remember some things about Micah, he was a very fiery guy. Uh, he had no problem standing toe-to-toe with the biggest and baddest people of his day uh, and absolutely just calling out their sin, calling them to worship God and to serve him in truth and in faithfulness. Uh, in the book of Micah, what we have is a collection of sermons that Micah has given. Think almost like a, a cabinet, a filing cabinet. You open it up, here are different sermons that Micah has preached. Here we have a sermon from the prophet Micah on the church, uh, on what the church looks like, how the church operates. And he gives us here two metaphors. And that's what we're going to spend our time looking at. Two metaphors, two word pictures for the church. If you look in verse 7, he says then. Now this word then is very important. Um, he's talking about in the day to come. Okay, So he's mentioned this earlier in his book. If you look at four one, chapter 4, verse 1. 
He says this, it shall come to pass in the latter days. That's what this then is referring to, in the latter days. This day in the future, the day of the Lord when God's promises would be fulfilled. Now, if you remember, we've just done our series on the kingdom. When Jesus comes in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he shows up saying what? It's here. Now's the day. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. God's promises are happening. So that then is now. Does that make sense? Then, then, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. This word remnant is a word for survivors, for a small group, for those who stay faithful to the Lord. He says, then the remnant of Jacob, then God's people, they shall be in the midst of many peoples. So he's envisioning this time where there's this small group of people who are faithful to the Lord amidst a world that is not faithful, a subset of society, if you will. He gives us two metaphors. We'll we'll look at the first one here. He says, he gives us two kind of word pictures. This is how the church will operate. This is what the remnant will look like in the midst of those many peoples. The first one he gives us in verse 7 it says the remnant of Jacob will be like will be like dew from the Lord. It'll be like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. Now, this metaphor, this simile here, it'll be like dew, it'll be like showers, is it's trying to convey the sense of vitality and blessing and life. Think back to an agricultural society and how dependent they are on water. For there to be crops, for there to be food, for there to be business and trade. And then think about how good you and I are as human beings, thousands of years later, controlling water. We can't make it rain. You and I can't control the atmosphere, the systems of water. We can't make it rain. We can't produce dew on the mountains. These are gifts from God that God had blessed his people with, that they looked forward to in the morning To see God's provision for them. So here's what he's saying here. Um, In a sense, he's saying that God's people should be a source of blessing and life for the world around them. That they'll be like dew and showers for the people that they're in the midst of. They'll be blessing them. They'll They'll bring life to them. They'll be a sign of God's goodness to them. They'll be a gift from the hand of the Lord. In a sense, when we're talking about the church... Um, We're talking about a group of people that are called to be the good news to the world around them. Not just to talk about the good news, that's a big part of it, but actually to be the good news. To actually embody Jesus' work and his heart. If you think back to last week when we talked about the incarnation and how the church, you and I, are in a sense a continuation of the incarnation. We're still God's presence among people. We're his hands and feet moving and working and shaping accomplishing his will. Now, I've got down here three ways that I think historically and then still today that we accomplish this, that the church can be a blessing and be a source of life to the world um, around them. The first, uh, we'll say, is art. (coughs) Art. And and you've got here in your worship guide, it's highlighting God's good creation. Art, whether it's writing or performing or playing music or making movies or taking pictures or sculpting or painting, whatever it is, It has a very um, powerful potential within it to shape and to change and to draw in imaginations. We're blessed in our congregation to have lots of artists here. We have lots of musicians. We have lots of painters. I was just thinking today, um, our walls usually have some sort of art on them. They look kind of bare today as we get ready for a new series. Not so long ago, they had trees growing up into the walls. Um, We've had, usually for series, we'll write some songs as we go through a series, a, a book of the Bible. We'll write some poems, things like that. But art is one way that the church 
is a gift of life and a gift of blessing to the world around them. Art has this ability to highlight God's goodness, to look at creation and say, this is good and should be worshipped. He should be worshipped because of this. Art can also highlight the brokenness of creation. Art can also open your eyes up to the way that things have gone wrong and are continuing to go wrong. And here's maybe the, the biggest power of art. It can open up eyes to hope, to a way forward, to a future. So the church, both historically and today, I think, is a source of blessing in life by, by the use of art, by the gift of art. Here's the second one we'll lay out. Justice. Justice, or seeking the righting of wrongs. The world we live in, um, as it's been and was in Micah's day, is a world where there are things that have gone wrong. There's oppression and abuse and poverty. Um, there are systematic um, injustices throughout the world. There are relationships that have broken. There are families that have fractured. Um, there are personalities and habits that have gone out of control. Um, there's all this brokenness and, and wrongness in the world. And the church is called to bring and to seek justice. To go into dark places and name that which is unjust and push it out. To work towards the world being right again. And so when we see poverty, we, we go in and we feed and we clothe. And we see abuse, we go and we stand and we protest. We work toward justice. And here's the third one. Um, a third way that the church in the midst of a group of peoples is a source of blessing and life. We'll say this, evangelism. Announcing the good news of Jesus. Announcing the news that the new day has come. The kingdom is here. Jesus has died, is risen. Salvation is opened up for all peoples to enjoy. And notice though, notice this evangelism, announcing the good news, works best in the context of the first two. The message makes the most sense when you're producing art about goodness and brokenness and hope, when you're fighting and standing for justice. Then the message that there's a new time here, that there's a new Lord, there's a new king, that message makes a lot more sense. In fact, that message has a visible outworking. Again, you can see it in a community of people. This is what Jesus envisioned when he said people would see the way we love each other and realize that we're following him. That just by virtue of us having relationships, we're announcing the good news. As we produce art, as we seek justice, we do these things as well. So here's the first word picture that Micah gets us to try to wrap our minds around this remnant, the church, in the midst of a group of people. It's like dew. It's like showers. Look at the second one he gives us in verse 8. Maybe a little bit more interesting. Okay, He says, also the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples. Like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through treads down and tears in pieces and there is none to deliver. So we are these ferocious people who absolutely just tear apart anything that stands in our way. This is a call to holy war. No, I'm totally joking. This is not. Some of us were like, I got to get out of here. Others were like, I brought my knife. I, I could tell a lot about all of you just from that reaction, okay? Um, no, this is not, this is not a call to, to kill the infidels, okay? Um, but this is an interesting metaphor. He, he's saying the, the remnant will be like a lion or like a young lion, an animal that no one messes with, okay? Um, so if there's a cat, I mean, I'm not really worried about the cat, okay? It's a cat, whatever, I'll play with the cat, whatnot. But if there's a lion in front of me, I'm not going to mess with it, right? You don't slap a lion and just kind of laugh at it. No, a lion does what it wants to. It imposes his will. Like a lion in the forest, like a young lion 
In the midst of sheep, so will the remnant of Jacob be. Um, I think one of the things we can draw from this is that God's people will be strong and victorious. Will be strong and victorious. God's people will accomplish their will. They'll be powerful. They'll be influential. The world will recognize them when they're there. For the church to be in the midst of the people, she must be visible. People must be looking at her, seeing her, feeling her influence. The church must be visible. We mentioned this last week when I said that the church is not a memorial society for Jesus, right? We're not just a group of people who happen to get together once a week to remember this guy 2,000 years ago. No, we're a group of people who have aligned ourselves together because he's alive and he's working to this day. And he's called us to participate in his mission. The church is strong and victorious. We have to get this right attitude in our minds if we're going to understand the call that the church has been given. Not a call to retreat and not a call to sit and wait and just remember, but a call to move and to go and to do and to work and to accomplish. The church is called to be strong and victorious. But what are we fighting against? What is it that God's hand will be lifted up over the adversaries? The enemies should be cut off. Well, let's go to uh, the New Testament. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bible, flip to the right. You'll hit the New Testament. We'll go to the book of Ephesians. If you're in Corinthians or Galatians, keep going. If you're in Philippians, Colossians, you're going a little bit too far. Ephesians chapter 6. We hear something that is very similar to what Micah is saying. We'll pick up in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So here's what Paul just said here. If you have identified your enemy and they look like a human being, you have misunderstood your enemy. You've misunderstood your fight. If your enemy has flesh and blood, if it looks like a human, you're wrong. You have not correctly understood the way that the world is operating and the mission that the church has been given. What Paul talks about here is, is these cosmic forces. So you get into kind of this weird, mystical, sociological language where there are these impersonal forces behind culture. There are these forces of thought and attitude and behavior that fuel and motivate and guide culture and decision making and families. Here's what, what Paul might agree as, as one of these powers. Okay, If we're going to try to label and name these powers, um, let's try to put this into the text, and maybe this will help us make sense. Materialism or consumerism, this kind of behind-the-scenes power that, if you look at it, really does shape the way we move, shape the way we live, shape the way we spend our money. I think Paul would agree that that is one of those cosmic principalities and powers, one of those things that we're trying to find purpose and meaning in our money, and in so doing, we're letting people not eat and not be taken care of and things like that. And Paul would say, that's what we're fighting against. We're fighting against the principalities and the powers, these spiritual forces at work. And so that's our enemy. We go and say, no, this is what worship to Christ looks like. This is what obedience to the world's true Lord looks like. This is what human beings look like. When they exist in community, when they exist in responsibility, when they exist in faithfulness. So we can say this, our fight is with the darkness of the world. Jesus said we are the light of the world. 
Light goes into dark situations and pushes back the darkness. So it is with the church. We go into dark situations and push back the darkness. And Micah says we're like a lion, a young lion, who goes in and is not stopped by her enemies. We're strong and victorious. If you have your Bibles, again, flip to Matthew, to your left, just a bit. Matthew will be our first book in the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be done flipping in just a moment. Matthew 16, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now notice what he says next about his church. Watch this. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. I don't know how you read something like this from the words of Jesus and get into an attitude where the church sits back or the church just protects against outside attacks. Notice this. It's the gates of hell that are not prevailing against the church. This means, for the careful reader, the church is on the offensive. If we were just in a fortress trying to withstand the attacks from outside, our gates would be the ones prevailing. Our gates would hold strong. But when we're at the gates of hell, Jesus says they're not going to hold you back. Why? Well, the church is a lion. The church is pushing back the darkness. The church is seeing injustice and going and standing there and saying, this is what the love of the creator of the world looks like. This is what it looks like to sacrifice and to serve and to meet the needs of the people around us. The gates of hell will not prevail against them. One last place to go. Go to Philippians chapter 1. So go back to the right, this time right past Ephesians. Philippians chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 3. This is Paul talking to the church in Philippi. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, your koinonia with me in the gospel, your partnership, your, your um, joining with me as one for this project. And I'm sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, um, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, and in prison back then, you didn't get taken care of as well as you do maybe in prison today. Okay, so back then, if you didn't have friends come bring you food, you died. That was how prison worked. Um, They just locked you up, and you had to kind of fend for yourself even in prison. Uh, So what the church in Philippi did was they brought Paul a large monetary gift. They raised a collection for him, brought him a gift, probably got him some food with that gift. So he's writing them a letter. Philippians is really just one big thank you letter, if you read it. It's his most joyful letter. He talks about joy over and over again. He just got this gift from the church in Philippi. He says, thanks for partnering with me as we advance the gospel. And notice what he says in verse 6, and I'm sure of this. But the God who began this work in you and I and the world around us, he's going to finish it. He's going to finish it. 
the church is strong and courageous. And so we, we face the battle with courage and confidence. We face the battle with courage and confidence. It's not a defensive posture. It's an offensive posture. We've talked a lot about the church in the past couple of years, in the past few weeks. We'll be talking a lot about the church in the future as we walk through the book of Acts. But for now, let's, let's let this um, passage from Micah, these two metaphors, the church is like dew and showers, and the church is like a lion or a young lion. Let's let that frame our idea of the church. Because you have a world around us, like we read in the scripture reading, Philippians 2, that is dark. But there's a group of people, the scriptures say, you and I, who shine like stars, who are called to bring blessing and life, who are called to fight the battle. Now let's talk about FCQ. First Colony Christian Church, we call ourselves FCQ. Let's talk about the vision that God has given us. Uh, we do this once a year, normally around budget time, the new financial year, um, mirrored after the President's State of the Union. Okay. Now I can confidently say that FCQ is in a much better place in the government. Uh, so much less division, much less fighting, much less debt. So we're good um, on that front. Um, what I wanted to do this morning um, from our kind of foundation in Micah is talk about the vision God's given us as a church and then talk about this last year and the year to come, okay? We'll try to do this as quickly as possible um, so we'll be dismissed. We could take forever doing this this morning. We'll start with our mission statement, First Calling Christian Church. FC Cube, you have it here in your worship guide, exists to glorify God by making disciple making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is a very carefully crafted statement that we have. Um, this is at the heart of our organization. This is the heart of our staff and our programs and everything that we try to do here at the church. Let me point out a couple things to you from our mission statement. One, our primary purpose is to glorify God, is to praise Him, is to worship Him, is to bring beauty and honor and glory to His name, is to show the world around us how good and perfect and true and whole He is. And then notice how we have perceived the vision of how that gets accomplished in Sugarland, Texas, how you and I live out Micah's idea of the remnant. Glorify God by making disciple, making disciples. This word disciple is not a denominational word, okay? This is a disciple of Jesus Christ, making disciple, making disciples. Notice, don't get confused in the language here. This statement is crafted to imply multiplication. So we're not just making disciples of Jesus. That would be addition, that would be, we're just adding. We're making disciples. We made a disciple. We've made a disciple. Um, in our statement, we have very carefully laid it out so that it's multiplication. So we make a disciple who then makes disciples. Does that make sense? It's a snowball effect. We're training up each disciple to reach his full potential in Christ to go influence the world. So we exist to glorify God by making disciples, making disciples of Jesus. Inherent in our mission statement is an idea of worship and praise and movement and growth. It's pregnant with these concepts. Now, our core values, we have four core values, um, which we've called in the past our family traits. Uh, this is what we want people to know us by. This is what we want our community to be glued together with. Okay, we'll run through them. The first one is trusting God. We want to be a people that have uh, an absolute, strong, foundational faith in the creator of all things and the savior of those things as well. Um, people who hear his voice and respond to it with obedience and with courage. We want to trust God. When people talk about us, we want them to talk about the way that we trust, the way that we follow, the way that we have faith. We want to be a people who accept unconditionally, who accept unconditionally. What this means is we don't want to be a closed community. 
We don't want to be a, a group of people who have pre-established relationships and just exist for ourselves and with ourselves. We want to be welcoming other people in, and we want to be a safe place for people who are broken, for people who have questions, for people who have doubts. We want this to be a safe place on Sunday morning in our home groups for people to fall and make mistakes, for people to try things out, for people to learn what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, accepting unconditionally, accepting unconditionally. Our third core value here is serving selflessly. Now we want to be a group of people who um, lose our identity in the identity of one who meets the needs of the people around us. Um, so we are constantly, you're going to hear this all the time, uh, constantly looking at how can we serve the people around us? How can we take our resources, our time, our manpower and use it outside of ourselves? How can we be uh, extroverted as a church? How can we be blessed so that we can be a blessing? And then this last one, training the next generation. Uh, we constantly want to be raising up new leaders in the church. Um, this has been an emphasis of the church for the past three or four years, um, working with the youth. Interestingly enough, statistics are pretty clear that most people who convert to Christianity and really any religion will do so before they're 18. Um, once you reach 18, uh, you're pretty set in your ways. It's, it's a very unlikely for those people to be inverted. Now, it's not impossible, and it's not, not worth pursuing. It's just, if you look at numbers, almost everybody who will label themselves a Christian for the rest of their lives and be involved in the local church will reach that point sometime before they're 18. This has a couple big implications. The first is that youth are a primary mission field. If that's really when decisions and hearts are being formed, that means that's our primary mission field. And then two, guess who that makes our primary missionaries? <laughs> Our kids, our youth, the people who already have those relationships, who are interacting with them, who have those, um, that trust already built in there. Okay, so that's a big emphasis of our church, teaching the next generation. Uh, we constantly want to be giving um, a seat at the table, if you will, uh, to people who are younger. Hello. Uh, <laughs> welcome to this core value. You're um, so that's our core values. Um, that's how we have... Uh, developed as a community our vision of what it looks like um, for Micah's church and for the church that Jesus imagined and for the church that Paul worked in to work itself out in Sugarland, Texas in 2012. Um, so a quick recap of the last year. You have this here in your worship guide. I believe last year when we did this, I had a list of like 57 things and I ran through all of them. We're going to do the opposite approach today, which is like a flyby. Um, 10,000 feet, okay? Uh, so the first highlight we'll notice here is five baptisms. We have five baptisms um, this summer uh, at a beautiful celebration of the Mumin's house, if you remember that. Um, now I'd like to point out that any church that is has a priority on making disciples will, by default, naturally have baptisms at the core of what it's looking for and searching for. Baptism is the, the celebration of the initiation of someone into their faith. The rising from the ground, identifying with the Lord, beginning their journey toward Jesus. Five baptisms, I think, is a good number for a congregation of our size. Uh, and so I look back, and I'm very excited about that. And again, I think for a church with the mission statement that we have, baptisms are a central pursuit. Uh, that's something for us to really feel, put our fingers on, and see the pulse of what's happening. Okay, um, We'll look at outreach projects, things that we have done, ways that we have reached the community. Um, if you're here for a while, you know we do lots of these and some little ones and some big ones. And at any given time, I probably couldn't even tell you all the ones that are going on at the church uh, with different people. Um, so just off the top of my head, a couple. 
Uh, we sent money to Camp Blessing. Uh, we sponsored two little children uh, to go to a camp for special needs. Um, they are very grateful to us. Uh, they have very good thoughts about First Colony. In the past year, we've started establishing ourselves at a homeless ministry, Church Under the Bridge, where we provide um, drinks and desserts, um, what we're good at, uh, for uh, homeless people uh, during the month uh, to just serve them, to, to reach out to them. Um, again, as Micah envisioned, trying to be a source of blessing and life to the people around us. Uh, this summer, I'm remembering um, Rich uh, and the people around him who organized and worked at East Fort Bend Human Needs Ministry, uh, did a mission project. Lots of them took off time from work to really um, focus their time in there and, and pour some resources into there. Uh, we do lots of things with East Fort Bend Human Needs Ministry. Um, we uh, will do a turkey drive during the year. Um, different school supplies, fundraisers, things like that. Um, so lots of different ways. Again, that's only touching, I mean, just the, the um, shallow end of the water there of, of ways that we've reached out to the community. And I think if you run the numbers, um, it's, it's pretty impressive the amount of resources we've sent out uh, away from us into the community around us. Um, and then last, continued ministry impact, okay? So all this to say that there are real human beings who are really being ministered by the things that we're doing as a church. Um, and continue to be so. Um, I can think of, here is more um, experience and stories. I can think of countless conversations I've had with people uh, who have been touched by ways that the church operates and the ways that people in the church have gathered around them. I can think of deaths that we've seen in the last year. I can think of um, new life that we've seen in the last year, joys and hurts, and the letters that I've gotten that if we had time I could read to you about how much um, you guys have meant to people. Uh, I remember one situation where there was a death. Um, I don't know if, if some of you remember this. There was a death uh, in someone in our first service. Uh, and it was out of the blue. No one knew about it. It's like Friday. Uh, Saturday morning, I sent out an email saying, all hands on deck. Let's organize a meal for a memorial service. Sunday, during our two services, in and out, uh, we had this huge, huge like army of people organizing a meal and going over there. And I can remember the prayers that we had and the tears that we shared um, and, and the gratitude that was felt um, by that family. And the, the impact that we had on, on their family members who were in town for the memorial service and saw a church just drop everything um, and say, this is our priority right now. We want to meet these needs. Um, so lots of different stories like that. Um, lots of different ways that our music ministry and college ministry and youth ministry uh, have been reaching out and moving and working um, in powerful ways. Now, if we're going to have the highlights, we have to have the lowlights, okay? So there are things that happened in the past year that we don't want to repeat in 2012. Um, if you come here, you know I don't like to sugarcoat really anything. I'll never sugarcoat how I'm feeling. I'll never sugarcoat um, what I'm struggling with, things like that. We won't do that with our church either. Low light number one, money, okay? Now, let me preface this and, and guide this by saying there was really no horrendous, tragic financial thing that happened to us this year. Um, if you were with us for the budget meeting um, a couple weeks ago, uh, we did significantly cut our budget this year. Uh, we cut a couple staff positions, things like that. What that came down to was we lost a tenant um, about six months ago or so. Uh, about 15, 20% of our income comes from tenants who rent the building during the week as kind of a community center. We lost a major one. It was not a surprise to anybody. It did not come out of the blue. There was nothing bad that happened with it. It just happened. We knew that change would have to come if that didn't get met in some sense. It never got met, and so changes had to happen. Um, so all that to say, again, there was no horrendous, um, like, awful tragedy that happened and we just have no money, and we haven't been giving, and things haven't worked the way we expected them to. None of that. Um, but I can speak for everybody who was in those meetings for the past month that we do not want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, thank you. We're, uh, we're, we don't want to re- repeat that into the future. I'll preface that also by saying this. We're in a very good financial place in the long run. Um, we're paying off our note on this building at a very accelerated rate. Uh, we have a, a nice um, background bank account uh, pool to fall back into uh, if we start bleeding, things like that. So I'll just say, I mean, we're not shutting down tomorrow if y'all don't give well today. I mean, give well today. Um, <laughs> So we're, we're in a good place, but I'll just say, we don't want to repeat that um, for the next year. So there's a low light um, from the leadership of the church. Uh, we didn't enjoy doing that. Uh, and then the second uh, low light we would have is growth, okay? Um, we have not seen significant, um, substantial growth, at least uh, on a sustained level. Um, we, if you look at the numbers of maybe a Sunday morning attendance from 2009 and match them up with 2011, they're pretty much similar. Um, they're pretty much the same. In fact, at certain place in 2011, we are probably... A, Half a step down from 2009. Lots of different things that could explain this, um, but all this to say, we've uh, expressed the vision of growth um, in the past by saying we have a building and we want to fill it up. We have seats and we want to fill them up. We don't want to build the monster. We're not looking at um, being this huge, out of control organization. In fact, we probably have a church planning impulse in us when it gets reaching to capacity, okay? But we, we want to fill up the room. I think all of us um, can agree or can remember coming on a Sunday morning where a few people were out of town and there's only 15 of us in here uh, and it just kind of felt weird, it kind of felt off. Um, and so growth is one place where we did not reach, let me just be honest with you, we did not reach our goals that we had going into last year. And to be honest, since we're at the same numbers, we didn't take a step towards them. We really didn't. There was no steps taken toward them in actual numbers and like reality in the world. Steps were taken as far as like we're trying stuff, but no steps as far as results. Again, there are things to, to think about through that from my perspective. For instance, we've had two or three very committed um, families who have had to leave the church because of job situations. Um, so things like that. If you look at our numbers from 09 and 11, they're about the same. But it's a very different group of people. And a lot of that, again, is not because we haven't been growing and reaching out and bringing people in, but because people move away and things like that. It's more noticeable at a smaller congregation like ourselves. So lowlights. Now, let's look into 2012. I want to lay out for you four points of emphasis, and we'll wrap it up. Four points of emphasis going forward into the future. These are going to be things that I'll have my eye on as we go, um, that our board will be looking at, that our staff will be focused on. These are areas that we want to pursue as we head into 2012. The first is substantial growth. Um, This has been a goal for the last three years. We'll continue to be a goal. Um, We'll try some new angles um, this year. Um, Again, we're not looking for crazy fast growth. We're not looking to to build the big monster or anything like that. Um, But we are looking um, to bring new people in, and particularly non-believers. I mean, we, we don't want to, and I think this is one reason why we might have stimmied our growth a little bit, is we don't want to steal church members. If Sugar Creek is reaching someone, let them reach them. They're at Sugar Creek. We don't want you here. I mean, if you want to come here, that's fine. But, but if you're at a church, be at a church. How about we go after the 60, 70% of people who aren't at church on Sunday morning? That would be a better mission field to attack instead of all fighting over 12% of the population. Um, so we want substantial growth. Um, the leadership has some numbers there. Um, a few families, things like that would be nice to see some new breath and life coming in here. We want to focus on strategic outreach, okay? So how can we, again, best use our resources to be a presence in the community? 
lots of factors that play into there. How can we best um, partner with eSport in human needs? That's going to be an emphasis of ours going into the future. What's the best way for us to organize that? Um, what's the best way for us to interact with the organizations we're already partnering with, like Camp Blessing and Church Under the Bridge um, and organizations like that? So we will be keeping a very focused eye on those type of things. Third, we want to work on developing paths of discipleship. Um, we still have um, some holes in our congregation about ways for people to get plugged in, ways for people to grow and mature in their faith. Um, one of the words that I've had and it's been shared uh, by a few people is that we are better at having fun than growing um, and, and, and really maturing in our discipleship. Uh, and, and so what I mean by that is, is we're really good, and I think most of us can attest, um, it's not hard for us to throw a good party, right? It's not hard for us to really enjoy each other and really become deep friends. Um, but I do think we can better put in place paths for people to walk of discipleship. And when we do have people come in, um, places where we can plug them in and get them growing and get them um, being taught and matured and things like that and letting them serve and express their gifts. Um, so we're going to be working on that. In the church world, there are expressions you want on-ramps and off-ramps. So we want on-ramps for people who want to um, grow maybe in their knowledge of a certain place or who want to grow in their spiritual disciplines, things like that. And then we want off-ramps for people who need to back off for a season of family or whatever it might be. Um, but we want to build in more strategically and intentionally paths um, of discipleship, places for people to get plugged in and for them to really intensely and focused um, have, have growth happen in their life um, and have their relationship with Jesus built up. Um, the last one we'll, we'll lay out here is covenant servant commitment. Um, our members here at the church are not called members. It's a little too clubbish for us. Uh, so we call them covenant servants. Um, and uh, our covenant servants are plugged in in a lot of places. Uh, believe it or not, this might surprise some of you, um, we've been looking at graphs and charts and numbers of where volunteers are serving and what kind of resources we're putting where. Um, and we want to continue to do that to, to just see, one, that we're using our covenant servants the best way possible both for them and for us, that they're serving places where their gifts are being used um, and where they're being satisfied and feeling uh, called to serve, uh, and then two, that we're plugged in. And then two, covenant servant commitment. Um, we need um, some more buy-in, um, some more consistency. Um, we don't struggle with this as much in the first service. We do this sometimes for the second service. So you might come on a Sunday in the second service, and there might be 40 people in here, and, and almost every seat might be filled up. And you might come the next Sunday, and there might be 15 people. Um, uh, so so um, we want to look for some consistency. We want to look for um, some more buy-in, some more adoption um, to what we're doing here as a church. Um, I've mentioned this before, and I know certain people, um, I mean, I've heard this, people told me that I sound like a jerk sometimes when I say this, but things do work better when we're here on time. Things do work better when we're in the sanctuary before service starts. Um, not even just for me starting service, not even just for the band, for visitors that we have, things like that. Um, there are lots of different ways that if we do small steps, um, we'll enhance um, our overall ministry as a church uh, and fill in and, and guide and energize the other things that we're aiming at doing uh, as a church, as a congregation. Um, I would ask you this question uh, as we start to close up here. When you, when you hear the vision of FCQ, um, and, and we'll talk about our mission statement quite a lot here at the church, things like that. Does it, is it just a mission statement to you? Is it just a, a carefully crafted statement of uh, some people who lead a place where you come once a week? And that's really all the thought you put into it. Well, let me ask you this. 
Have you adopted it? For those of you who have been with us for a while, for those of you who are covenant servants, have you adopted our vision? Is it yours? Have you ingested it? Have you invested in it? When you hear glorifying God by making disciples, making disciples of Jesus, is it just something you expect Mike to say on a Sunday morning? Or is it something that you've actually thought about and bought into and signed your name beside and said, yes, I'm on board, let's go, let's do this? Have you adopted it? Is it yours? I would ask, um, and, and really this is for the church at large in the Western world, we need to move away from um, consumeristic church, um, where church meets our needs, and go towards a koinonia or a partnership, a, a partnering together, working together model of church, where we are as one body growing each other and teaching each other and living and loving with each other and serving with each other. A church um, is going to be sucked dry if, if um, there's way more consumers than there are people who are, are building and are, who are investing in. Does that make sense? I, I mean, if, if your level of involvement is just consuming, um, I would encourage you to, to, to look into where you could move um, further into there. Where can you serve? Where can you help? How can you, with your gifts and with your time commitments and with your job um, and with all of those things, how can you play a part in the vision? And how can you help us reach full maturity as a church going forward? Um, 2011, um, despite the low lights, I think was a great year for us. Um, coming up into February, we'll make three years uh, of me being here as pastor. Uh, I'm not sure what you were thinking three years ago or what I was thinking three years ago. Um, Still feel like a novice and an amateur at this, um, but looking back over the years and over last year, uh, I, I just can't help overlooking the goodness that God has shown to us, and the goodness that He's shown to me, um, the goodness that He's shown to the families that we have here, the goodness that He's shown to the relationships that have been built here, um, and by God's grace, looking into the 2012, um, figuring out more and more and more what it looks like for you and I, for the the blue FC cubed, what that looks like to be due in Sugarland, in Houston, in Texas. What it would look like for us to be a young lion. What it would look like for us to, to follow Jesus and, and attack and, and see the gates of hell not even prevail o, o, against us. So this is where we're going in 2012. Um, this is what we're imagining. This is what we're dreaming. You have this last question here. We'll end with this. Um, the question is simply, are you in? Have you bought into the vision? Are you on board with us? Um, we'll start Acts next week. It'll be a very fun time in our church. Um, we'll march systematically through it as we do. We did with Hebrews and Micah um, and other books of that nature. Uh, and we'll spend a lot of time thinking about what the church is and what that looks like for you and I. Um, but again, by God's grace, uh, 2012, we'll see a year of both you and I worshiping and praising, um, of growing individually and corporately, uh, and of more and more finding our place as the remnant in the midst of the people, um, God's gift, the good news to the world around us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for um, the time that you've given us this morning. I thank you for the scriptures that you have um, given us to equip us uh, for your ministry. Uh, I thank you for um, all of your blessings. I thank you for even, even hard times, Father, that you use to grow us and to shape us and to mold us. Uh, I pray as we head into the future, Father, that you would be powerful, um, that you would lead us 
exactly where you would have us, that we would have our eyes opened up to see where you are working and that we would simply join you there. Uh, I pray a prayer of blessing and protection over our church and our congregation. Uh, I pray a prayer of thanks over this past year, Father. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We need your help. We need your grace. We need to constantly have our eyes focused on you. It's in your son's perfect name that we pray all these things and all God's people said. Amen. 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 We'll now participate in.